Welcome to Finance Feeds Podcasts. Finance Feeds is the world's premier interactive Forex industry news source, providing the latest insights and current affairs from within the online trading industry worldwide. Enjoy our latest podcast episode. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining me. My name is Nikolai Saev. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Finance Feeds. Welcome to Finance Feeds Podcasts. This is our first ever podcast, so we are very excited. Um, our first guest joining us today is Dmitry Galinov, who is founder and CEO of 24 Exchange. Dmitry, welcome. Thanks for joining us on our first ever podcast. Thank you to having me. I'm looking forward to be the first. Uh, yes. Uh, so it's August right now. It's summer. Uh, uh, I wanted to find out how your summer has been going. I think you are in Miami most of the time. I know it gets hot down there <laughs> during the summer. Um, how has summer been for you? How are you cooling? How are you keeping cool? Yeah, uh, well, Miami. Yeah, I'm in Miami most of the year. Uh, it's, it's beautiful down here. It's a little bit hot in the summer. I mean, we have air conditioning, obviously, and I, I spend a lot of time uh, by the beach. Uh, I also travel a lot uh, during the summer. I, I went to New York and London. I'm now in Connecticut, uh, in our Connecticut office. We have uh, offices in New York, London, Connecticut. Uh, so, you know, traveling and, and air conditioning and beach, it kind of cools me down. Oh, nice. Um, I'm actually in upstate New York myself, so I might be quite close to you in Connecticut. Whereabouts in Connecticut are you guys located? We're in Stanford, Connecticut. Oh, nice. It's about a 40-minute drive, 40-minute drive for me. Well, it's been it's been hot up here as well, but it's definitely cooling down this week. So hopefully you will get to enjoy um, enjoy the weather here much like you do in, in Miami. And, you know, I, I go to – I've been to Miami many times uh, recently as well. Uh, you obviously know this better than I do, probably. There's been so many transplants in the last few years that have uh, both companies and people who have migrated to uh, the greater Miami area, so to say. Um, the last time I was there, it, it seemed like there were so many people. Uh, has that dissipated somewhat or is Miami still the go-to destination for both tourists and professionals from different regions of the country? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I don't see Miami slowing down at all. Uh, we, we do see, uh, more and more New Yorkers or like Northeasterns and California, uh, plates, uh, and, and, and people, uh, down there. Um, we, as, as you know, there's, there's a number of financial firms recently announced that they're moving. I think the, the big splash was obviously Citadel, uh, among others. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still Miami's, uh, influx of people still going strong. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Dimitri, before we get into like some personal questions that I wanted to ask you, uh, I wanted to talk shop, as they say, a little bit. Um, the last time you and I saw each other uh, was at uh, Trade Tech FX uh, conference in Miami in February. And the last time you and I spoke, I think that was around the time that uh, certain financial firms had filed some applications with U.S. regulators for things like spot crypto uh, ETFs. And I believe 24 Exchange's application for um, uh, for the uh, U.S. Equities Exchange uh, was already filed at, at, at that time as well. Obviously, it's been, you know, it's been it's been quite a uh, quite a few months since then. Um, I've seen some of these ETF proposals that uh, some firms have uh uh, submitted uh, some of these have been uh, have been declined um, so far, and I wanted to get your take on on sort of the situation as um, as as it's happening now. Has that changed the twenty four exchanges mindset in any way with respect to, to what you're trying to accomplish with um, with crypto? Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Uh, and I, I look, uh, I, I just want to. Uh, differentiate two things uh, we we uh, 24 exchange is a multi-asset platform uh so we run uh, foreign exchange uh crypto as well as as you uh mentioned we filed for uh u.s uh, stock exchange application so our crypto trading um and exchange is very different from the stock exchange that we filed in, in the u.s uh, we are domiciled mm -hmm. in Bermuda for crypto trading, um, and uh, we are licensed by Bermuda Monetary Authority. Uh, 
uh, for exchange as well as for our uh, broker. So we have two licenses from Bermuda Money Territory. And, uh, you know, our crypto is going uh, very, very strong in that regard. Now, our, our exchange application um, is for trading U.S. stocks. Uh, that would include uh, crypto ET, spot crypto ETFs if they, you know, they would approve would be approved by the time we go live. But you know, if they're not approved, we still have another, you know, over seven thousand stocks to trade twenty four hours. So uh, we're very very excited uh, about that. Uh, so the update in application is that, and you know, the mindset didn't change. Uh, that is that. Um, uh, SEC posted the application uh, on their website, so we hopefully expect the license uh, for the stock exchange this year. And I, I think, uh, just going back, the the application for the exchange license uh, and you know, in the spot crypto ETF application by other firms, they they really you know two different things and, and really not affect uh, each other or my thinking. Oh, okay. Understandable, understandable. And with with your specific application for the exchange, um, since it's uh, since 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 it's filing, what have what has some of the feedback been from perhaps uh, you know your colleagues or friends in the industry? Um, uh, perhaps uh, I don't know uh, media or, or or anyone else, because um, you know in, in looking at what you're trying to accomplish, it looks like a pretty game changing. Uh, service absolutely uh so we since we filed the application uh, we talked to many many clients of ours and, and friends whether they're on broker dealer side on the buy side like big hedge funds and and, and you know corporates uh as well as uh, uh, other exchanges and brokers and um i think overall uh, everybody's super excited about 24-7 exchange trading. Um, there, there is, a, you know, I think uh, as, as the cryptocurrency be, will become more prevalent, uh, there, there is a push for people to trade other things 24-7 because people looking at and cryptocurrency say, well, this guy's trading 24-7, why we can't trade stocks? And uh, I, I think, you know, anybody that uh, we talk to is, is super excited um, about uh, us coming on, online. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and with respect to NDF swaps and spot FX trading, right, that you guys obviously offer as well, that's part of um, 24 exchanges, I would I would say probably core, core, uh, core services or products, right? Um, how have how have those markets sort of uh, expanded or changed over the last let's say five months since you know since we last saw each other in in, in February? I think I did see something in the news where you guys did uh, execute a particular uh, first time trade with someone uh, at some point after the uh, after the February conference where we saw each other. Yes, uh, thank you, thank you for the question. Our, our effects actually in the last five months is doing very well. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we are posting our volumes on our website, uh, 24exchange.net, but uh, for NDFs. But, uh, you know, in general, the effects volumes every quarter is higher than the previous one. We grow the volume. Um, in terms of year-over-the-year -year growth, we doubled the effects volume versus previous year so far. And we still have a lot of clients to onboard. Uh, for you know, we, we are still still relatively uh, a new company. Uh, we were founded in 2019, so we still have many clients uh, that are onboarding and, and, and trading FX. But uh, FX is going very well. Obviously, you know, the environment was also very good for foreign exchange uh, with you know fluctuations uh, in. Uh, interest rates and uh, in stock markets and in other markets. So uh, certainly uh, you've seen foreign exchange rate been fluctuating quite well as well. So all of this contributed to uh, pretty good growth for our platform on the facts. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. And, you know, if we turn to back to back to crypto a little bit, we, we, we're all obviously aware of the weakness in crypto asset prices across the board, right? In recent months, um, you know, some people have called it a crypto winter, 
right? Um, I'm sure you've heard that uh, in the news or, you know, people referring to this. Um, do you agree with that kind of phrase or that kind of description in terms of what's going on, like crypto winter? Or do you think maybe what's actually happening is sort of an actually an optimistic time because, um, you know, there's obviously certain consolidation that takes place in, in the industry. Uh, we've seen it before with other markets, right? Um, and, you know, there, this might be a time to learn valuable lessons for really all the participants of, of, of the crypto of the crypto markets. Um, and in terms of, you know, learning lessons for the future so that uh, this type of market become can become a lot more integrated within global business banking and just society in general like what what do you think i, I mean uh i i to me this uh, well i would call it crypto winter because i mean the asset prices went down pretty significantly so you know whatever you call it i mean it, it was significant depreciation but i i think you know this depreciation of all these assets and you know some some obviously firms went out of business really were caused by leverage and you know and and really people taking um, a lot of credit risks without understanding it and i i think the positive thing coming coming from this experience is that now the firms are you know becoming much more uh, conservative. This is like really, you know, reminds me of you know. Remember the housing bust when 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 the banks yes. got super aggressive on real estate and you know there was a bust. I, it, 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 you know, to me, it's like very similar situation here, where where people mm-hmm. you know got over leveraged or you know gave credit to and you know extended credit to some people that they shouldn't have and so forth. And and this is all right now. It's correcting, but. Uh, you know, for crypto overall, I, I think it's, it's it's doing very very well. Um, and uh, you know, on the infrastructure side, and the way I see it, I see you know there's big big banks and buy side clients uh, that's coming into crypto and they continuing to come. I mean, it's nothing is stopping them. The fact that you know there was this uh, credit deterioration and you know the sell off based on that. Um, you know, they really didn't change institutional plans and they all going ahead with it and they're very, very excited. So, so to me, the future for the crypto and, and usage of it within banks and organizations is, is very bright. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure you saw just this week or was it last week that, um, I think BlackRock and Coinbase are going to be working together on the institutional side of things. Yeah, you so, see, that's very um, impressive. Black- yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's a huge step. Uh, I think they they added uh, Coinbase to Aladdin, Aladdin uh, platform, and this is all in the backdrop of, you know, the you know obviously Coinbase was a sub is the subject to multiple investigations and you know so forth and is the outcome. Uh, uh, somewhat of 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 this uh, crash, but you know, despite all the issues that you know various platforms having, there's this the institutions are still moving forward. So that that's a very very good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think with 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 what's happening with Coinbase and BlackRock, I would expect that there will be probably other players from the uh, big banking side or uh, private equity or in- institutional investing side who will who will try to or will want to partner partner with or collaborate with uh you know large crypto exchanges um perhaps that's a business opportunity for 24 exchange in the future in some in some Absolutely, way shape or yeah, form. we're looking forward to that uh well i'm not sure if you were we already have a number of banking partners uh so standard charter is a big you know, is a big uh, owner of our company and, and the huge partner. They, uh, I think they're one of the first banks that will be uh, trading crypto uh, and crypto derivatives and offer various services, um, as well as, you know, JP Morgan um, is, is our holder. So I think we, we already have a number of bank banking and, you know, and Point72 is our investor. So we have a lot of uh, kind of institutional investors that are already kind of supporting us across all the asset classes that we do. 
but uh, we certainly mm -hmm. would be looking uh, for more partnerships and you know with institutions in the crypto space. Mm -hmm. Well, um, maybe someone will be listening to this podcast and will <laughs> want to reach out. <laughs> Dmitry, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you're not hard to find with respect to shooting, shooting you guys an email at 24 Exchange and, and starting up a conversation. Um, uh, so I wanted to switch a little bit over to talk about Dmitry Galinov, the person. I know we talked shop, we talked about 24 Exchange, crypto. I want to find out more about Dmitry Galinov, the person and um and, and your personal history i wanted to ask a little bit about your upbringing some of your cultural traits and maybe some things that um had an impact on you growing up uh, and then also through to your uh you know young years in terms of education and then starting your career you know we are both uh, sort of immigrants from the former soviet union so there's there's a little bit of commonality here um And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about sort of your uh, early life, um, you know, just from from open sources and LinkedIn. I saw that I think you were born in Russia, uh, I think somewhere in the Republic of Tatarstan. Um, kind of, I, I guess I, what I wanted to know if, if, is that, if my uh, if, if my information is correct, do you know, do you remember anything from your uh, childhood, particularly from you know, let's say sort of your, some cultural traits that you were exposed to as, uh, as, as a child growing up in Soviet Union or Russia that, you know, had a certain positive impact on you um, as you went on th further on in life in terms of going to school, going to university, and then, you know, working in the United States, starting your own businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, thank you. Well, I, I, I was born in, uh, in, in Russia. Well, in USSR in city of Kazan. Um, and uh, I, I attended the uh, uh, Finance and Economic Institute in Kazan, you know, before I moved to US at the age of 17. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's about an hour from Moscow. It has the one and a half million people. But, you know, the most interesting, and it's, it's really, you know, very similar to way kind of, um, uh, of how, who are my, you know, grandparents and parents are, is, you know, Kazan is like a little Jerusalem, you know, like, well, it's not little, it's, it's, it's pretty decent. But uh, in, in the sense where uh, if you look at the Kazan population, um, it, it has, you know, Half of half, more like about half of the populations are Russian, which is obviously Orthodox Christian, and you know the other you know almost half of the population are Tatars, uh, who you know who is predominantly Muslim population, mm -hmm. and there there is also you know in Kazan at that time there are a lot of uh, Jews, and you know my for example my my grandmother was Ukrainian Jew. And, and the way it happened is because, you know, during World War II, when the Germans uh, came towards Moscow, a lot of uh, Jews from Ukraine, they, they went in, in, inside Russia, inside the USSR. And, you know, this is how my grandmother, who was a Ukrainian Jew, met my grandfather, who was Tatar, you know, and, and uh, kind of they got uh, in at, at the end. I was born at some, some, some mm -hmm. time later. But, you know, what's, what's so interesting about Kazan is that all these people, in, you know, from different, very different backgrounds, in, you know, even Tatar language is different from Russian language and, you know, and the religion. But, you know, they, they all worked and operated together very peacefully and very efficiently. Like, this is what really stri strikes me about, you know, that town, that we, you know, during... During that time, you you had you know people Russian original Tatar original you know Jewish original in in various uh, you know management functions or important roles, and they were able to get there within the city um, and you know in in a very nice way. So so you know it is the city where there's different cultures could truly coexist uh and there is a you know for example if you go through kazan city you'll see a huge amount of churches as well as a huge huge amount of mosques 
And yet, you know, people were working to, and still are working together very well and, you know, promoting and everything. And, and that, that was similar kind of to my family uh, because I, I had, uh, uh, as, as, as I, you know, said previously, I had Jewish roots and Tatar roots, but also my mom was, uh, you know, pure Russian um, or thus Christian. So I, I, I truly kind of grew up in uh, in a mixed uh, mixed environment um and you know it it really gave me kind of a view on various perspectives on life and 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 certainly helped me to deal with all kinds of people uh, in the future mm-hmm. uh, I, I, and as you said just now I, I, what i was going to say is that because you're exposed to different religions and different cultures because i would I venture to guess there is, you know, Tatar culture, it, it has its own specifics uh, as opposed to Russian culture, or even if we could call it Soviet culture, right? Because again, we we both lived in it, right? So we both understand that there there's a certain element of, of Soviet-ness. I, I don't know if that's actually a word, but um, the, the, the uh, exposure to all of these different languages, cultures, religions, kind of helped you be... Um, be able to communicate with really anybody, understand different people's sort of uh, concerns, right? Yes, uh, from a cultural perspective, religious perspective, and things like that, right? Absolutely, that that was was a huge, huge help for me. You know, to be raised in such environments in such city. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and in terms of education, and this is something I experienced as a child. Um. I, I would venture to guess you did as well. Uh, Soviet education system, uh, very heavily focused on mathematics. Mathematics and, I would say, natural sciences. Yes. Um, and physical sciences. Is that, is, did you also experience that in, in, you know, sort of early years in school? And did that influence your future education? Like, let's say, at university, um, for, further down the line when you moved to the United States? Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I, my Russian math education, uh, helped me significantly. And, you know, Russia was very, is very strong, you know, on, on, uh, getting, um, uh, math and physical science, uh, young people prepared. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example, you know, how, how strong it was. So I went, as I said before, to Kazan, um, finance Institute, and um, at the USSR, the way it worked, I'm not sure if you remember that once you graduate high school, either you go to university or you go to Russian army for two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Russian army uh, at that time, you know, it wasn't paid. It's basically you free service. And, you know, th- there are a lot of young and educated people that wanted to continue their, you know, education. They not necessarily wanted uh, to go to the army. So, what ended up happening is it created a huge demand uh, for to to get into a you know a, a school or a college in Russia, and so I remember that uh, when you have to do entry exam into the Finance and Economic Institute at my time, uh, you had to take three tests, which is math, uh, geography, and English. Uh, sorry, in Russian. Sorry, in, uh, in, in the Russian language. Um, and, uh, well, and there was about, and, you know, for each place in the university, I think there was about, uh, 13 or 14 applicants. So uh, it was a super competitive. Uh, but, uh, if you pass a math, uh, with on a, so if you take a math exam, uh, upon entry exam and you get an A, you basically get in automatically. So mm-hmm. there, there is, there are two people. I think there is three thousand people that applied when I applied, and there is two people that got an A on math test, and uh, I was one of them. So it, <laughs> it certainly helped me to go into, you know, get into uh, the university, and and then uh, certainly uh, as I moved uh, from um, uh, from Russia to United States, and I moved uh, to university in New York City. Um, and I did, and I decided to pursue the career on Wall Street and finance. 
certainly math uh, was the key there. Um, and actually, one of my first internships, um, I, I, before I even could speak English very well, um, I was working uh, for a very large hedge fund in Midtown uh, doing uh, quantitative analysis of stock trades. So, mm-hmm. so you know, math, you know, helped me tremendously in my life and especially in my career on Wall Street. Uh-huh. And, and the fact that, you know, people even, um, uh, you know, didn't pay attention as much to my English or other skills because I was pretty new to the country, uh, but they were really impressed by my math skills and I was able to, you know, to uh, uh, basically move up pretty, pretty quickly with my career because of that. Despite, despite the, the fact that I, you know, I'm not a native speaker of English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, and uh, a, a follow-up question on, on the math topic. Again, something that I experienced and was wondering if you did as well. Um, you know, having having tra- transitioned from from Russian school or institute to uh, university, like what I found is that I had a bit of um, I had a bit of a problem adjusting. On the one hand, everything is taught and explained to you in English. Some of the terms are different from the ones that we learned in obviously in the Russian language when we learned it in in the Soviet Union and that was that was the that was one thing and the second thing was really uh the 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 level of um uh, advancement I would get I guess or or ho- however to call it basically uh, what I experienced is something that I was already learning or had learned in let's say 10th grade uh I was then presented with the same information uh in in college in in at university in the united states and i found that to be a little bit awkward because i said well this is something that i already know so why do i have to study this again i understand it's it's in a different language did you experience that as well or um did you have a different um sort of a, a different experience in college in the u.s well, I mean, the college in the U.S., the math was pretty easy for me. Yes, I mean, I, I came in and that, that really it was super versus where, you know, the, the, the courses, math courses that I took in, in Kazan, you know, in, in, in the United States, that, that com- comparably, comparatively, they were pretty easy. And, um, and I think one of the reasons actually for that, and I observed it with my kids, uh, as my uh, as my kids growing up, what I found, you know, because you know, obviously, I was doing homework, math, uh, homework with my kids here, and mm-hmm. you know, I was just uh, remembering, you know, how they taught us in 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 Kazan, in in the USSR. So so you know what I what I figure out is that uh, here they they take uh, you know the school takes let's say ten steps to explain a particular concept. And in, in Russia, they would take like three steps. And uh, it's just the program uh, in the United States, it's, uh, it's you know, more stretched out uh, than, than in Russia. It's, in Russia, it's more con- concentrated math program. And so that's where, where you end up when you en- end up finishing high school or, you know, college courses, you kind of the same level that is like eighth grader in, in, you know, in USSR. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I think that, 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 that is the difference is just the, the way math program in America is, is just a little bit stretched out versus Russia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, your kids, do you, do, do you speak Russian with your children as a second language? I, I know I, it's another question from, from you know being an immigrant these days, um, you know certain certain parents uh, kind of try to continue on that sort of lineage and and, and cultural uh, sort of um, uh, familiarity with with their children. Some don't. Just uh, wondering if, if if that's something that you do. Yes, absolutely. Look, we are a big proponent of uh, multi language skill. I um, I think it's very very good for children as well. Uh, you know to to learn various interests. So yes, I speak uh, English and uh, Russian to them. They understand and speak both. And also given that we're in Miami, 
they also speaking and learning Spanish. Uh, mm-hmm. Since since Miami, it's it's you know mostly uh, Spanish speaking um, area. I, I, so so my kids actually know three languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that no, that's great. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Dimitri, we talked a, bit, a, a little bit about your background and history. You moved to New York, you went to university. You did some work at Credit Suisse. Uh, I know that. And after that, um, you had launched a fast match. Um, I guess my question is, what led you to 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 launch fa- fast match right at the time that you did? Um, and uh, w- was it really based on you know, the right place and, and the right time. Uh, and also your experience at working at, like you said, you were an intern at a hedge fund, um, Credit Suisse, perhaps other companies you had worked at. And then again, also maybe, again, your wealth of knowledge and education uh, based on your background, sort of, is that something that sort of led you to have a thought in your head like, hey, I could do this better or nobody's doing this, I should try to do this. Um, and, and that's how Fast Match came about. I guess that's that's the question. Yeah, uh, thank you for the question. So, yeah, I've been I've been in New York for twenty five years, and uh, basically working at Credit Suisse. And I, I think uh, how they came fast match about there, there are a couple of things. Uh, one is that I I've been you know very very successful in my career, and uh, I got to the point where I, I really you know build enough network and knowledge and respect in the industry that I, I felt that I could go and launch something and run something on my own. I felt that working for, you know, great companies uh, through my career up to that point uh, prepared me to do, it's a very big step, you know, to go and, and do something on your own versus to work for established company and, you know, very secure and so forth. Uh, so, so, so that's, that's one thing. So one thing I, I, I wanted to go and, and do it, you know, on my own. Um, the, the second, the second bit is, um, at that time, um, when I was launching fast match, which, uh, was like 2011, um, uh, basically what was happening is, uh, there, there are a lot of articles were about foreign exchange market and quality of execution. And there is, uh, if you recall, there are some lawsuits where, you know, the big buy side clients sued the bank saying, look, you know, they're charging us very unreasonable rate uh, for effects and there are a lot of press. And so uh, my background before Fast Match uh, really was in U.S. equities. So I, I spent, you know, 20 years in U.S. equities um, and I, you know, I, I in U.S. equities market, uh has been, you know, very regulated, very fast. There are a lot of exchanges, you know, very efficient. And when I opened the Wall Street Journal and I start reading, you know, uh, information about the foreign exchange market and, you know, what's going on, I, I very quickly understood it was, even though it has been, you know, the biggest market in the world, it was not as regulated or efficient or electronic by, by any means, um, or transparent. So, for example, exchanges at that time, they wouldn't publish their fee schedule. They wouldn't publish their volumes. They, you know, many, many uh, uh, platforms would not even publish their rules, how they operate. So, um, so that's how kind of fast match came in mind. I said, well, look, what if we take uh, equities experience that I have and take a matching engine that's fast and create a very transparent, you know, system where you know you'll see everything on the website, what the pricing is, uh, basically very organized, transparent uh, system, um, and uh, apply it to foreign exchange, um, and that's kind of uh, how Fast Match was born. Um, and uh, since then, you know, it did very, very well. Uh, I sold the company four years later to Euronext. Um, and uh, they rebranded it to Euronext FX, and I think they're still doing very well with with that company. Mm-hmm. Great! Uh, it's a very, very interesting. <laughs> it's a very, very interesting story. So you said twenty five years you lived in New York. What made you pick up and move to Florida? COVID. Ah, okay. okay. So I yeah, see. so that's the short answer. So. 
you know, I look. Uh, COVID changed the uh, COVID changed a lot of things. So you know, before COVID in the financial industry uh, and in many other industries, uh, people were accustomed when doing business to see each other in person, right? Personal <laughs> meetings, <laughs> um, coffee, and so forth. Uh, you know, since COVID hit, uh, people are much more comfortable with, you know, remote and Zoom and, and stuff like that. So that enabled, you know, me to live anywhere I wanted. And I started thinking, well, you know, where do I want to live? And, uh, you know, what I what attracted me about Florida uh, were the, you know, good weather, uh, you know, low taxes. I mean, they have no state tax um, and uh, pretty good infrastructure. Uh, I mean, in, in terms of infrastructure, I'm talking about, you know, the airports and restaurants and, you know, Ubers and the taxis and and everything. So so to me, Miami, like kind of uh, culminated all these different things. And uh, because of COVID, I could move. And so what happened is as soon as we, you know, could get on a plane, uh, just went to Florida and saw three houses and bought one. And we moved mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. two months with my family and never looked back. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just sort of under the impression that you had actually moved to Florida a few years before COVID. That's why I had asked. But uh, if that did happen, you know, as a result of, of COVID, um, that's completely obviously understandable. But uh, Dimitri, you know how I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation that my specifically Miami seems to be have been quote unquote overrun with, uh, you know, so many people that have transplanted. Um, do you still feel the same about about Miami and Florida as you did then, as you do now? Or, I mean, is it manageable? Uh, it seems to me there's like so much traffic these days on on all the main thoroughfares in in Florida or in Miami. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> you know? it, it is. It's it's a very good question. I mean, certainly, look the influx of people. It's not it's not that easy to widen the road, right? So Miami certainly mm -hmm. did not expect that COVID is going to hit, and you know all these people going to rush to that state. Um, so I, to me, it's, it's still manageable. It's still manageable. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. Got, it did get harder. So the traffic got heavier, as well as things like services. So for example, uh, let's say if you want to go to a doctor. Right, like there is a longer wait line. There is more people. It's just because there are more there are, uh, more people in the state, um, and and with more people coming. But um, uh, I, I do see that uh, Miami is investing very significant um, uh, amount of money into growing the infrastructure. You know, they they. If I'm not sure if uh, you know uh, you drove around Miami, there is there is a lot of work uh, is going on in terms of adding highways and, you know, and so forth to, to ease up the traffic. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the, the government uh, recognizes what's going on. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just the question is how quickly they, they can do it because obviously it takes a long time. But I, I'm still very bullish on it. I, 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 think, mm -hmm. I think we're going to continue uh, seeing people uh, coming there. Um, it just, mm -hmm. everything takes time because, you know, let's say if your family member moved, but maybe you cannot move right away, but you want to, or, you know, someone has, you know, parents or whatever, certain engagements. And over time, you know, though, you know, that those engagements disappear or people can move. So I think, uh, this trend will continue. And, uh, I think the Miami will be ready for it. Mm -hmm. And does 24 Exchange do any business in Florida? So you mentioned, you know, Connecticut, um, London, you have offices. Do you have an office in, in, in Miami or Florida as well? And if not, do you, is that something that you've thought about doing in the near future? Yeah, we have an office in Miami. Uh, we opened an office in Coral Gables, which is a beautiful area of Miami. It's South Miami, mm -hmm. South of Miami. Um, and uh, we have a, we have a few people uh, in the office already uh, every day. The, the Miami office is not as big as our New York, London or London office or Connecticut office is the smallest office. 
but uh, mm-hmm. it does head head up our uh, stock exchange, obviously. Um, so uh, that's where the stock exchange is registered. And we are mm-hmm. as as we launch the stock exchange and we we grow, we do see Miami office expand. Mm-hmm. And do you th- do you find that uh, you know when you were staffing the uh, Miami office? I'm not sure. You know, perhaps you brought over uh, existing employees from other locations. Um, I, it, but if you didn't, if you did hire locally, is 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 Florida? Does Florida have like a good caliber of candidates uh, specific to the financial industry and maybe specific to our you know our little niche of of like FX crypto, you know, and and all the other uh, derivative products that that we're all familiar with? Yes, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, a good question. Um, so. Unfortunately, I don't think Florida has uh, a great amount of people that, you know, for our industry, which is, you know, more like technology, like programmers or, you know, like uh, finance people, FX people. Um, mm-hmm. So the the people that work for our office in Miami are, are from, we brought them from other areas, from New York and Connecticut uh, and so forth. And uh, the new people that, uh, obviously arrive uh, you know we the people that we look to hire they, they all coming from like Chicago or New York or Boston or uh, somewhere not not unfortunately not from Miami and you know we, we I looked at um, actually I looked at into that into recruiting uh, in in local universities unfortunately you know uh, we the local universities, you know, they're not capable to produce, uh, you know, the the IT people or, you know, like math people, finance people, because historically, they like, that's not what they are concentrating on. They were more concentrating mm-hmm. on, you know, like, for example, hotel management, you know, market, like into more kind of different things that, uh, Miami was, you know, big, big tourist hub and, you know, an international hub uh, before. But uh, in terms of really like finance and technologists for Wall Street, you know, it, again, it, it, the COVID and, you know, this influx happened too suddenly for them to catch up. Uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. that uh, once, uh, you know, they see and uh, they're already seeing all this financial companies moving to Miami, I'm sure that they will introduce new courses and and, and do it. But uh, so far, uh, we we got people from outside. But because people want to go to Miami, we we found a lot of willing people that want to go there and and work there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because uh, again, you know, that was that was the 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 the, uh, the the sort of the idea that came to my mind is perhaps there's not just not enough qualified. Per, uh, people yet for for kind of this the, the for our industry so um uh, also related to miami uh on your linkedin profile picture uh, it's it's you on a boat dock with a, with a cigar <laughs> um so so the question to, the question for dimitri is how does dimitri unwind um you know typically unwind uh after a long busy week uh you know how do you decompress um, and and relax uh, in a city, you know, in a city or area that, frankly, you know, has so many vices. Yes, <laughs> you know, to 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 put it bluntly. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, I mean, um, you know, I, I unfortunately uh, I'm not as exciting uh, on the weekend as you know my aunt. <laughs> but, uh, the way the way I invite, uh, I, I like to smoke a cigar here and there with my friends outside. It's beautiful outside. So, you know, um, a lot of people, you know, sitting outside, uh, e- even in the middle of the winter, it's warm over there. So you can enjoy, you know, good sun weather and, and you know, have food and drink or a cigar outside. So that, that that's one way. Another way, I, I like fishing a lot. And, you know, the fishing, the, the pier that uh, the photo is on is a fishing pier. So uh, mm-hmm. I actually, you know, uh, go out fishing with my friends. Um, but mostly... You know, the way I'm white, I really, and, and that's another reason I moved to my, Miami. Miami has a beautiful ocean. So I try to enjoy it as much as possible, whether go fishing, going to the beach, 
you know, just walking around the beach with my kids and my dogs, you know, or going just on the boat with my friends. Um, so, so, so I, I, I'm really kind of, uh, attracted to, to the ocean and, and I, you know, all my activities, um, in terms of mm-hmm. relaxing, uh, is involving ocean somehow. <laughs> uh, they're all aquatic. Aqua- aquatic yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, I guess, uh, you know, one of the other questions, again, it's a it's sort of a cultural question. Um, you know, we all have these devices these days. We have iPhones and, and iPads and uh, we have access to digital content uh, everywhere, right? Video, uh, audio and things like that. Music is, is, is something that I think has been, uh, I, would, I would argue probably or venture to guess that it's been a part of your life since growing up in the Soviet Union. Um, uh, I guess the question is, what kind of music does Dmitri like to listen to? And uh, a small comment, you know, when I, when we saw each other last at Trade Tech Effects, you guys had put on a really cool sort of night party event at, at that conference. And for, what I got from it is that Dmitri seems to be also kind of like a electronic dance music connoisseur in a sense. Yes, yes. <laughs> Maybe. So... Uh, what are what are sort of your musical influences, and do you use music kind of like a lot of young people use music today? You know, they're con- they're listening to music when they're working, before they go to bed. You know, it, when they wake up, they all have these different uh, playlists that they have for different moods and things like that. Uh, does me does Mitri do the same? Kind of, what's been your musical influences? Uh, you know. Since your childhood and, and up to now. Yes. Uh, so yes, I am electronic music uh, friend and uh, and you know big fan and uh, uh, basically I, I I did it from very I liked it from very beginning from you know from my early childhood. So mm-hmm. you know I I listen to electronic music uh, when I typically when I drive you know during the drive or uh, during like when I'm swimming. Let's say if I'm swimming in the pool, I put the music you know, on the speaker. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't like, I don't like working, uh, with music on, you know, or, or, you know, doing certain things. I think it's, it's a little bit distracting. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I, I do, I do enjoy electronic music because it, it does energize me. Um, I also listen a little bit, uh, you know, of, uh, stuff like eighties or classic rock, but that's all my wife. So my wife puts it on and, I, I listen to it a little bit, but, uh, you know, personally, I'm a big fan of electronic music. That's why you probably, you know, you, you like our party at Lyft in Miami, which is, uh, a big, big, uh, uh, nightclub and uh, they have really, really good, uh, DJ, uh, even local DJ there is amazing. Uh, so, so, you know, we're very, very happy with, you know, with that club and, uh, entertaining clients that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the reason the reason why I was so impressed is because I many many years ago, before my professional career, I was actually a small time DJ in New York. So electronic dance music and other genres of of you know electronic music, including hip hop and all that, are very very familiar to me. So that's why uh, that's why I was uh, pleasantly surprised and um, and also was curious to find out you know kind of what what's the uh, how big is the how big is the influence for uh, how big is the influence for for Dimitri? So you know uh, we mentioned Trade Tech FX. Trade Tech FX uh, has announced that they will ha- they will be doing another conference uh, early next year in February. Uh, this time, I believe, in Fort Lauderdale, a little bit north of uh, a little bit north of Miami. Um, should we expect um, a, a sort of a big presence from 24 Exchange uh, at next year's Trade Tech FX, similar to what we saw this year? Yes, of course. Uh, so, well, actually, there is a big uh, Trade Tech FX Amsterdam that's going in Europe in September. And uh, we have a big uh, a number of people from 24 Exchange coming to Amsterdam, uh, uh, which, mm-hmm. which, you know, usually going to be a good event, as well as um uh obviously in in florida in in fort uh, i think it's in hollywood in hollywood florida when they're gonna hold the u.s one um for next year yeah absolutely we'll have the presence mm-hmm. i don't think we're gonna be doing the club though because it's too far 
from Hollywood, mm-hmm. but uh, we will find uh, entertaining places around Hollywood to <laughs> to have fun with our clients. And and you certainly, yeah, you yeah, certainly which, will be invited to all the activities. Uh, thanks. I mean, I wasn't. That was that was a no way of me trying to uh, invite myself to to your networking events. I actually I wanted to ask you. Um, I don't think Finance Feeds will have an opportunity to to attend the Amsterdam event. We do know about it, the European uh, version of Trade Tech FX. Um, it, you know, in in your experience, you've obviously obviously attended both the European and the US um, versions. Would you say they're both on par in terms of the networking? Uh, uh, um, the sort of the networking opportunities there and the speakers and presenters that usually attend? Uh, or is there is there any sort of difference that you can see between the U.S. and the European events? I think, uh, I think they're on par. Um, and, uh, the, well, there is, sli- well, there is slight, di- in terms of quality and, you know, the level of people that attending and speaking, they're on par. Uh, but in terms mm-hmm. of the atmosphere, so you, European is, is more kind of local. So you have a lot of European, you know, buy side and sell side guys, like very, you know, from, you know, all over the Europe coming there. Now, US one, mm-hmm. it, it's because it's so far, right, from Europe and, you know, and Asia, you'll have, you'll have uh, kind of uh, more representation from the bigger global organizations from bigger countries. Like you wouldn't have a smaller, you, you would rarely see a lot of smaller European countries represented um, in, the, uh, in the US one uh, because mm-hmm. it's just so distant. And uh, I, I think they're both great ones where the European one is more obviously European and the US one is more kind of high level where people from all over the world come. But both of them are excellent. Mm-hmm. Great. Awesome. Well, we wish you uh, best of luck uh, at the Amsterdam show, and hopefully we will see you in uh, in Florida in February of next year, if not before then. Um, Dimitri, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and being part of our first ever uh, podcast experience for, um, for Finance Feeds. Um, I hope to see you very, very soon. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and um, you know, all the best of luck with uh, the uh, equities exchange that you are um, expecting to launch and everything else for 20. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Good luck with your podcast. And uh, we're looking forward to see you soon. Take Thanks, care. Dimitri. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thanks for listening to our latest Finance Feeds podcast episode. For sponsorship opportunities or to become a guest, please email us at info at financefeeds.com.